We continue the series uh, in the top ten. Um, today is obvious uh, commandment number seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Let me just preface by saying this. I think it's possible with God's help and his grace that we can stay married to the person that we said I do to, and we can have a passionate love for each other and for our God. We can enjoy the company of each other. We can work through our trials and difficulties, and we can make it until we breathe our last breath. It is possible to be madly in love with the wife of your youth and the husband of your youth. Yes, it is possible. It's doable, and God wants it. Any amens out there? I just get so fed up with what the world is telling us that you need someone new, that you need another size or another shoe. Take the one you have and live it up. I passionately love my wife, Anne, and she passionately loves me by God's grace. It's possible. And it should be possible for all of us. Can we get rid of the doom and gloom that's out there and say we need someone else? If you put Jesus at the center, you love him with all your heart, you surrender and humble yourself, he can have and make your relationship with each other off the charts good. I feel like I just say, amen, go home and be intimate with your spouse. (laughs) There you go. I'll say all that in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Twelve years ago, I stood before uh, you, many of you, on a Sunday morning. Felt compelled by God to... To say this, as I felt compelled this morning just to pray for rain. Please, at 6.45 tonight, get out in your yards, hold your umbrella up by faith and say, God, bring the rain. It's possible. I felt compelled this morning to pray for rain. Twelve years ago, I felt compelled during a message on sin to show that sin should shock us. That we shouldn't be dull to sin. That somehow we get, we get into these ruts. That somehow we just allow this behavior, these things that people say, and these things that people do as if it's a, acceptable and that sin should be acceptable. God abhors our sin. Yes, he forgives us and sends grace to us. But God doesn't desire his people to walk in sin. And so I wanted to send a message to shock people on a Sunday morning. So it was a Saturday afternoon, evening, and I was thinking about the message. And I felt compelled to share a story that would have been a story that was a fabricated story to shock people on Sunday morning. So I went to my wife, who's a discerning woman of God, who's in tune with Jesus and walks in the spirit. And I went to her and I said, honey, I'm considering sharing this story. What do you think? It's good to go to someone who's wise, and especially your spouse, who's a Christ follower, who's hungry for Jesus. And so I went to her and I said, here's what I'd like to say tomorrow morning. What do you think? So I went to her and I said, I want to share this story. I want to share that this fabricated story. And so she said, Jim, I believe if that's how God has led you, I don't feel that you shouldn't go for it. So I stood before the congregation on a Sunday morning. It was a message with sin, and I said this. I said, this week, I received some some disturbing news that one of you is in an adulterous relationship that's in this auditorium. And as I was standing on the stage, I said this. I know who you are. God knows who you are. I received a report this week that you are having an adulterous affair with someone else other than your wife. And I'm asking you, 
by God's grace, to stand. I'm asking you to stand and repent of your sin. I'm asking you to receive the grace of Jesus Christ and to walk away from this relationship and to renew your relationship with Christ, to repent and go in the opposite direction. I know who you are. And if you don't stand and do so, I feel called by God to call you out. It got very quiet in that auditorium on that Sunday morning. And I let it simmer for a while. And so I said, I'm going to wait here until you stand. And so I waited. What was probably 60 seconds felt like three hours. And you could see people wanting to look straight ahead, not wanting to look left or right to their spouse, as if someone would see them looking right to left to their spouse. And so I stood there. And after deathly silence in this auditorium, I said these words. That was a fabricated story. You could have heard a pin drop in that room when I put that out there. And you could have heard the audible sighs when I said that. Well, after the services that day, I went home before we had cell phones, at least before I had one. And the phone rang at my home. I picked it up. And there's a gentleman on the other side. And he said these words to me. He said, Pastor Jim, I'm that guy. I sat in the services today. I'm the guy that's having an adulterous relationship with another woman. And as you spoke, he said, my heart was coming out of my chest. He says, I have failed my God miserably. I failed my wife. I want you to know that I am that man. Needless to say, we had some conversations in the weeks ahead. And needless to say, there was some damage that had happened. And needless to say, it was a sad situation where sin and temptation had run its full course and turned into sin. Needless to say, God wanted me to share that story. I don't know in this auditorium or in the link or across the internet if you're that person today. If you're having a secret relationship with some other man or some other woman and you're secretly devising a way to find or meet them or you have been meeting them. But here's what I know to be true. Our God knows. And here's what I know to be true from the Ten Commandments. And from a New Testament raising the bar situation where Jesus took this and raised the bar. Jesus says it's sin. It's sin against our God. And he wants you to repent. Adultery has infiltrated our society in many forms, in many fashions. In fact, it is so common that we're not even, we're not even when we hear it, we're not shocked by it no more. We say things, well, that doesn't surprise me. It breaks my heart when we begin to say things like that about sin. That doesn't surprise me. It should surprise us. It should shock us. When two Christ followers who say they want to hunger and follow after Jesus Christ choose to walk in disobedience and sin and against their God and against their spouse. God doesn't look at that behavior and say, I approve of it. He detests of our sin. Adultery statistics have shown that about 50 to 60% of marriages in the USA have been affected by infidelity. 
The most distinguishing feature about adultery is that it does care about difference, even in social class. I found that very interesting. Or it does not depend on factors of gendered age, but adultery statistics show that around 60% of adulterers are middle-class people. And the female population accounts for about 40% of the adulterers. The most common age of committing adultery is believed to be between 25 and 39. Some things which are very common among adulterers is that most of them only knew their spouse for about two years prior to marriage. And their marriage has been for less than three years of time. But then there are many stories that we know of people who have been married 20, 30, even 40 years who commit adultery. It has been said that 22% of men and 14% of women have admitted to having affairs. Almost 70% of married women and 54% of married men have claimed to have been unaware of the affair of their spouse. That somehow their spouses have hidden it and they're not aware of it. 90% of Americans believe that adultery is morally wrong, yet 60% are willing to do it. About 17% of U.S. divorces are caused by affairs. The Bible has a lot to say in regards of not committing adultery. Just listen to some of these accounts. Leviticus 18.20 says, Do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Proverbs 5 is littered with an adulterous accounts to warn you against adultery. For the lips of adulterous drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, it's bitter as gall. Sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Proverbs 9, or 5, 19 to 20 says, Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's way are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all the past. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him, the cords of a sin. Hold him fast. Proverbs 5.32 says, But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Hebrews 13.4 in the New Testament says, Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. In Exodus chapter 20, turn there with me, gives us a reminder of what God thinks about adultery. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Let's look at this commandment. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. And look at verse 14. Stand with me. We'll read it together. God's word. See what it says. It's living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to penetrate bone and marrow. It breathes life into us. Look at the life that can be breathed into us today in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. Read this with me, please. Ready? Read. You shall not commit adultery. Read it again. You shall not commit adultery. You may have a seat. Now say it. You probably know it, but now just memorize that verse. Ready? Say it. You shall not commit adultery. We should be able to say that, go home, and live it out. We should say, that's it. Go home. Obey God. 
Be obedient Christ followers who carry the banner of Jesus Christ and his name high. Let's be known as a church that follows hard and hungers after Jesus, that doesn't commit adultery. That's what sold out Christ followers should do. Do you believe that? That's what we need to do. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, or clauses that are added to that. The only but is your wife's and husband's but that you should be enamored with. So what is adultery? The technical legal term is this. Yes, I said that because it's the truth. The technical legal term of adultery is this. Voluntary sexual intercourse between a married man or woman and a partner other than the legal spouse. Now, we've seen people in our past who have used that and said, well, at least it wasn't sexual intercourse, so it wasn't adultery. All baloney. And we're going to see why that's true in the New Testament. To adulterate something means to mar it. To put a chink in something that you look at and say, oh, why ruin that beautiful vase with that chink of adultery? It means to make it impure. It means to dilute something and to cause it to lose its beautiful power. It means to pollute it. It means taking this relationship, this marriage, and polluting it. That's what adultery does. Something that's supposed to be fresh and alive, centered upon Jesus Christ and vibrant. It's taking that fresh spring that's flowing supposedly through this marriage and polluting it. It's taking what God intended to be pure and marring, chipping it away and diluting its power. For instance, the best way I can demonstrate this is to think this way. This is water that's fresh and vibrant. It's good for you. Our bodies mostly consist of water. And if I were to tell you to continue to fill yourself up with fresh water, you would go and drink the water. It doesn't hurt you. It's pure, it's vibrant. Your body receives it well. It revives, it regenerates physically as a result of it. But the picture of what adultery does, it's like taking literally going to your exhaust pipe on your car, taking your mouth on the exhaust pipe before you drink the water, having your wife start it, you take your mouth around the lips and put your lips around the exhaust pipe and say, honey, turn this on in our marriage and this pollution that comes to your mouth and then drinking that water and walking over to your wife and say, kiss me, baby, kiss me. It's the picture, literally, this is the picture of drinking water through an exhaust pipe. Something's wrong with that picture, isn't it? That's the picture. You've diluted it. You've polluted it. Yet all across America, we say, well, that's okay. It won't hurt anything for a little bit. Take your heart, take your mind, take your marriage there. That little bit of pollution won't hurt anything. Yes, it does. Adulterate means to make impure. It means to diminish its value, to mar something that was meant to be beautiful. Jesus raised the bar and he gave a deeper 
better translation and definition of adultery. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5 in the New Testament. Look at verse 27 through 30. As I showed you last week, I'll show you again today when Jesus went through these Beatitudes. He opened the majority of them with this phrase to remind us that something had been said before in the Old Testament. He, he validated the Old Testament. Look at verse 21 again. It says, you have heard and it was what? Look at verse 31. It has been what? Look at verse 33. Again, you have heard and it was what? Look at verse 38. You have heard and it was what? Look at verse 43. You have heard and it was what? He opens up this passage in chapter 5 and verse 27. You have heard and it was what? He reminds the, the, the listeners there and us today, this was said long ago. This validates the Old Testament. But listen to me. You have heard and it was said, Grace Community Church. Jesus said, do not commit adultery. Bam, he validates the Ten Commandments. Bam, he validates the word of God in the Old Testament. Bam, he says, it is the word of God. Verse 28, he says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed what? Adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Why did Jesus say the right eye? It's interesting you think about this. Even during Jesus' time, most people were right-handed. The right eye was a dominant eye. And he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. His purpose is saying, take the strong eye. If it's causing you and just left with the weak eye, gouge it out. If it causes you to commit adultery. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Throw it away. Verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, same way. Dominant people, majority people are right-handed people. If your right hand, your strong hand, causes you to sin, be left with your weak hand. Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus said, you have heard, and it's been said, do not commit adultery. But Jesus raises the bar. And then he says this. If you have lusted in your heart, you are guilty of sin. And not only guilty of sin, but you have committed adultery. If you have committed the act in your heart, then your mind plays it out. You have mentally undressed the other man or woman. You are guilty. In other words, he's saying that the majority of people alive have committed adultery. Like we saw last week, not a person alive isn't not guilty of murdering someone. We murder people with our words regularly. And you heard me say, I've been murdered many times by people along the way. Lust promises you everything and delivers you nothing. Jesus is saying, if you've lusted, even the person that you might be married to, there might've been times in the dating process that you've lusted after them. Jesus said, you have committed adultery. If you peruse the internet, if you assumed and you've looked at pornography and your mind had lusted and you masturbated, you've lusted, you've committed adultery. 
If you have looked at other men as women and say, oh, if my man could be like that, and you begin to fantasize about this man that you see on this program or this show or you used to date, you've lost it in your heart. You have committed adultery, and the commandment says you shall not do that. Guilty, 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 guilty. This message applies to most adults that are alive today. You see, lust promises you everything and delivers nothing. It never satisfies. You just want more. And so this continual cycle of lust, of going back, masturbating over and over and over and over and over and over, always wanting more, and you can never get more because God doesn't satisfy you with that because it's sin. It's empty because it's not the real thing. It's an imaginary pretend. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. It'll never satisfy you. It's not supposed to. I can't tell you how many people I I know have destroyed relationships because of the desire for lust. And lust comes from our hearts. Seriously. You could take out both of your eyes and you could still lust. It's not as like, well, I'll get rid of this eye. This eye causes me a lust. And it's like somehow you need both eyes to lust. You don't. Lust begins in the heart. Your heart has been contaminated by sin. It's the wellspring of life. And whatever goes into the heart comes out through the mind, the hands, and the feet, and your actions. There are times it would be best just to walk with our eyes blindfolded. Yet our hearts have already been contaminated with so much from the past. It's nearly impossible to not have to regularly battle lust in our minds. If you walk into a man and listen to a man, and I've spent my life in pouring into men, when I hear a man say, I don't struggle with lust anymore, I look at him and say, then you struggle with lying. It's a daily temptation for many. There's seasons where it's good. There's seasons where it's really difficult. That's why you need accountability. That's why Psalm 119 says to meditate upon his word and his word will make you pure. It's replacing and, re- and, and, and taking what is sinful and putting God's word in its place. It's turning from our evil sins and repenting and walking away and Christ restoring It's the regular pattern of confession and living out your faith. Seriously, look what Jesus said. He said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, cut it out. He wants us to deal drastically with our sin or it will debilitate us. If we don't deal with it now, it sooner or later will destroy us. Practically, how do you do that? How do you guard against How do you protect your marriage? How do you guard against all that traffic around you that's calling you in? The lights and the glamour says, look here, look there. Hey, me, hey, I'm available. How do you protect yourself from doing that? One of the best ways I can think about is this. When I think about you're not supposed to commit adultery, is you need to literally let other people know that there's no trespassing on your life and on your marriage. It's, it's as if we should carry signs as married couples and as Christ as followers, men and women say, no trespassing on my body, no trespassing on this relationship. It's a way for married couples to say, hey, don't even think about getting any entertainment here. I love my bride 
or I love my groom and we're committed to the end. It's carrying a no trespassing sign wherever you go. It's living it out. It's making sure your eyes are for him or for her only. What are some of the ways that we can do that in our world today? I honestly believe one of the primary ways to begin is by wearing a wedding band. You can disagree with me on this, but in our society, a wedding band says something. A wedding band at least says, I'm hitched and I'm proud to let you know that I'm married. It's saying I'm not ashamed to let other people know that I'm married. It's saying no trespassing. Ask any single person that sees someone that they might be physically attracted to, mentally attracted to, emotionally drawn to, the first thing you look for in approval is see if they got a wedding band on. And so if you can stop that first tier of evasion, it's done with a wedding band. Now, I'm just sharing what I believe to be true and why this is good for those of you who said, well, my wedding band doesn't fit me anymore, especially guys, I've gained 30 pounds or I gained 50 pounds and it just doesn't fit. And listen to me, sell your flat screen and go buy a wedding band. For ladies who say, you know what? My diamond doesn't fit anymore or my diamond fell out or the ring doesn't fit like it used to. And I just, I'm waiting for us to get some cash. Men, sell your flat screen and buy your bride a new ring. It's a symbol that says, I'm not available. Can we just start there? The first thing a single man or woman looks for is to see if they're hitched. And now this nonsense that's out there. You go away for the weekends and men or women take off their wedding bands just to get someone to flirt with them. You are on the steps of adultery. You are saying, hey, throw me your advances. Can we at least begin here and say, go buy a wedding band. Ted Linker goes to Grace Community Church. Call him up. I'm sure he'd be glad to fit you this afternoon. Do it. Quit slipping off your rings. Carry a no trespassing sign. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 27 to 29 reminds us that it... It's like putting fire in our laps and you will get burned when you get near an adulterous woman or man. You see, sex is no longer a beautiful romantic mystery between man and women, woman in marriage. You see, my heart aches over that because here's what's supposed, this is what this is supposed, sex is supposed to be God's wedding gift at every marriage. And that some of us think, well, I'm gonna see if the shoe fits. And so we walk into these relationships full of guilt and shame. And this honeymoon night that's supposed to be this beautiful thing has already been been threatened and polluted by these choices that we made in the past. Whatever happened to remaining virgins? That's God's ideal. Can I hear one amen for that? That's God's ideal. Now, let me just clarify so that you understand. Our God's a God of grace. We all make mistakes. But if... Right now, if you're single, from here on out until you get married, stay pure. Stay committed to God. And God will bless your socks out on your honeymoon night because of that. Here are some startling statistics regarding pornography even. 
Seven out of ten men visited a porn site this past week, Christian or unchristian. doesn't matter if you've even... That just disturbs me. We're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to rise above. We're supposed to be Christ followers. We're supposed to have the living Holy Spirit in us. We should just say, no. Yet that isn't the case. Seven out of ten men, saved or unsaved, visited a porn site this week. The porn industry was a $12 billion industry last year. And by the way, the stats are growing even more for women, faster than they are for men. More women are visiting porn sites percentage-wise, and it's increasing more rapidly than men. $380 a second was spent on pornography last year. Imagine just for a second, wrap your mind around this. Here's some truths regarding those numbers. Those numbers, $12 billion, could feed all the hungry kids in our world with that cash. Yet, listen to me, men. Men must get over their obsession with the sin of masturbation and start feeding the hungry, rescuing some orphans, and helping some widows. That's true in faultless religion. Not pleasing yourself. Look what happens. There's an example, many examples in the Bible. Let's give a clear example from Scripture. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. A clear example of what happens when adultery takes place. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Look at verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men. And the whole Israelite army, they destroyed the Ammonites, besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. It's interesting. You know, here's, here's, here's the reality. Some of you have heard this before. Some of you will hear this again today. And you can choose to leave this room and say, you know what, I'm doing okay. Listen to me, this is a warning sign today. We're all one step away from miserably failing We're one step away. And if we don't recognize this, pride will bring destruction. 2 Samuel chapter 11 says, In the spring of the year, David, who was supposed to be out to war, stayed back. His army fought. He neglected his responsibility. And his responsibility was to go to war. So he stayed back. He neglected. And so one of the first things in a marriage that happens is when we neglect our responsibilities. When we neglect caring for our wives, caring for our husbands. And when neglect takes place, you will see a marriage in trouble. And people can tell that. I mean, you can't hide when a a husband is neglecting his wife, nor a a wife neglecting her husband. You've heard me say this, and I I, I know this to be true. You show me a wife whose countenance is bright, whose eyes are, are sparkling, who, who just has a, a live countenance, I will show you a husband who is caring for her and loving her and is committed to her. You show me a lady who looks stressed out, who looks haggard, who looks, has hollow eyes, I will show you a husband who is not caring for his wife the way Christ wants you to care for her. Neglect is easy to see. And it begins with simple things. It, maybe it starts with, well, I can't sleep in the same bed because he moves too much. And it begins because of a physical problem. And then it moves, you, you, you sleep in separate beds. And it's like, 
three dates, four nights, five nights. And then it moves to, we just have separate bedrooms. And all of a sudden, neglect steps in, Satan gets a piece, and you start sleeping better because you're separate from each other. And all of a sudden, neglect sits in, and then these separate households or bedrooms become separate times away. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 gives us a reminder, do not deprive each each other of intimacy except by mutual consent. It's not good for married couples to live in separate bedrooms. It's not good for married couples to live in separate homes. David was neglecting his responsibility, and he's about to pay for it. And it says in verse 2, chapter 11 and verse 2, look what it says. One evening, David got up from his bed. He was in bed. He was restless. He was bored. And the reason he was, he's supposed to be on the battlefield. So he was bored. He got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof. One translation says he climbed to the roof of the palace. From the roof, he what? What's the word? Saw a what? Woman. And she was what? The woman was very what? How did he know that? It says he climbed to the roof and he saw a woman and she was very beautiful. Let me just remind you again here. David knew exactly what he was doing, by, by the way. He knew exactly what he was doing. It wasn't like he, he says, oh, I'm tired. I'm restless. I can't sleep. I got restless leg syndrome. So he just, he climbed up the ladder. He climbed up the steps to get to the roof. It wasn't like he, he got up to the ladder and up to the top of the roof. He says, I'm restless. And he just started, you know, stretching and looking at the stars and praising God. Like, woo, woman, woo, woman, woo, woman. It wasn't like he didn't know that they were there. Let me give you a little background. In Jerusalem, during David's time, women would often take baths on the rooftops. And here's why. Even then, women enjoyed hot baths. David knew that. And let me tell you, hot water heaters weren't available at Home Depot in Jerusalem during David's time. And they would put their baths on the rooftops, their tubs. And all day long, the water would bake in the sun. And in the early evening, the ladies would go to the top of the roof of the home and they would bathe. They would bathe naked like any person does. David knew that. It wasn't like he just walked up and said, oh, let me go upstairs here and stretch. It's early evening. And, and he walked out. Oh, I can't believe they're taking baths. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> He knew exactly what he's doing. He got up in the middle of the night. He pressed the, the, turned on his computer and he went down pornography lane. He knew exactly what key to press. He knew what site to watch. He knew what he was doing. It was intentional. It says he climbed, he walked to the roof and he sat himself in the modern day pornography lane and he just took it in. And scripture says she was very beautiful. How do we know that? Because David saw So he neglected his responsibilities of being out at war. And he started to look elsewhere. Bam, naked woman here. Bam, naked woman there. Bam, Bathsheba. Isn't it interesting? She was taking a bath and her name was Bathsheba. Neglect happens slowly in relationships. Men toward their wives, you can see it happen It's when time with your buddies increases weekly and longer. And the wife doesn't really seem to care. 
It's when the things you were willing to do with her when you were dating, you longer do because it's just not the same. Neglect is taking place. It's when you no longer pray with her or for her heart, you're neglecting her needs. It's when you don't take your responsibility as the priest and the provider of the family and pray and protect and provide. You just do what you want. It's when you stop pursuing her sexually because your interests are over here and so you're tapped out over here on pornography lane or maybe someone else. Women, it's when you know more about the lives of your children and their schedules and you have them memorized and someone asks you, hey, what's your husband do for a living? Let's see. What kind of vehicle does he make? Let's see. I think it's uh, one of those electric ones. And he's working for a, a, a truck company. It's like, you don't even know about what he's doing because you don't talk to him. But you could tell every detail. My son is batting 356. He's got 74 stolen bases and they haven't lost the game in three years. It's when you know more about your children than you do your husband. Maybe your calendar needs flipped. It's when she is excited that he is spending more time at work. And he calls and says, I'm going to be late again tonight. And she says, oh, baby, I understand. Stay there as late as you want. In fact, stay for a week. (laughs) In fact, just send me a check. Come back in a month. Kids and I are doing fine. It's when the lack of interest in sex with his wife or her husband surfaces. I want to say something that I believe to be very true. If a married man says he doesn't want sex, I'm not interested, he is full of crap. C-A-R-P. That's the truth. If you're a man and you don't, want to be intimate and have sex with your wife, then you are tapping out somewhere else. In fact, every married man in this room wants sex with his wife right now, guaranteed, in Jesus' name. In fact, I'm serious about this, and you know this to be true. If right now, wives, if you leaned over to your husband and said, I'm going to rock your world and part your hair this afternoon. He won't hear another thing that I'm about to say. (laughs) But that's the way it should be. There's nothing wrong with a husband and a wife intimately desiring each other. He might even not pray for the rapture any longer if you say that. See, we can talk candidly about that because that's the way it should be for married couples. You should pursue each other and want intimacy. Listen to me. If a married man isn't pursuing you right now sexually, then he's pursuing something else. He is either hooked on porn or he's pursuing another woman. You see, but David began looking elsewhere. He began pursuing somewhere else. I heard a guy say this one time, and I, it, it, just, it was just powerful. He said this regarding adultery, a pastor. He said, I think it would be better for you to die than to commit adultery. Think about that for a second. The damage that adultery does to a marriage bond and to the family and the generations to come just continue and continue and continue. You might as well just, he said, just rather off be dead than commit adultery. Some of you are just as guilty as 
as the person who says, I haven't physically done anything because in your heart of hearts, you have lusted after another person. David tells this story. Look, look on chapter 11, look at verse three. After he saw this beautiful woman, David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? He should have said, done. She's got a wedding band on. He shouldn't have been looking. He should have never stood at the top. Then David said, sent messengers to get her. These messengers should have said, man of God, don't do this. I'm always perturbed even by the messengers. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, guess what? I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was and how the soldiers were and how the war was going. Just small talk. All the while knowing that he had invaded his wife. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Put on your old spice. So Uriah, paraphrase Pastor Jim. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. And why did he do that? Because he's a man of God. He's a man of integrity. He's at war. And a man at war says, I need to protect. He didn't even go and sleep with his wife because he wanted to obey his earthly master and his heavenly God. He is a man of integrity. Verse 10, when David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, why haven't you just come... Why haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? In other words, please go home and sleep with your wife. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in open fields. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. A man of integrity. David realized, wow. I need to go uh, come up with a plan B. Verse 12, and then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. And David made him what? Drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on the mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. Even in drunkenness, even his behavior was a man of integrity. Even in drunkenness, his default system was, I am going to obey. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Job and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So Job, so while Job had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. I find this interesting. Even Joab goes for it. Then it says this in verse 17, when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite, what's it say? Died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. Now picture this. David is so bent on covering up his sin that he, he literally, he calls Uriah in. He says, Uriah, come here. And he hands him this letter, seals it. He says, here, 
take this to your commander in chief, Joab. And in this letter, literally, was the advice and words from David telling Job, put Uriah that's carrying this letter on the front line so that he dies. Literally, Uriah was a man of integrity. He carried his own death sentence in his hands. And it says that he died. Read on with me. Look what happens after this account. Verse 22, the messenger set out and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger sent to David, the men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archer shot arrows at your servants from the wall and some of the men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. He's supposed to be looking sad, but on the inside, he is celebrating. Verse 25, David told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Let's patch, cover this up. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. I find it interesting here that David broke the fifth commandment. He broke honoring your mother and your father. He broke the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. He broke the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. He broke the eighth, ninth, and tenth commandment, shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, you shall not steal. All in one action, he literally shattered the Ten Commandments. But he got what he wanted. And later on, we find out that the baby dies. In 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 18, seven days old, the baby dies. And the rest of the family is a big mess. Yes, David repented and praised God for forgiveness and repentance. But listen to me, why go there? Why go there? And deal with all the consequences of what's about to take place. Right now, some father is passing down years and years of carnage, and so is some mom. You see, Hollywood never gives you the, the, the final picture of what takes place. All they show you is this, this secret rendezvous of this married man and this married woman, and they meet out in the village, and they drink wine together, and music is playing, and they run to the hot tub, and they passionately love each other, and it's so good, and it fades away, and you say, oh, I wish I had that. And they don't show you the, the sequel to that of a shattered family, broken kids, broken marriage, divorce, bankruptcy, loneliness, sin against God. They don't show you the destruction because they don't want to. Satan doesn't want to. But right now, some people in this room are one step away from throwing it all away because a man can't keep his zipper up. That's why Job said this. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon another woman with lust. Pride says, it will never happen to me. I can go farther. Let me show you what I mean. Pride says, I can climb to the top of the roof. I can stand and look and be close. And I'm not tempted. Pride says, I'll be okay. Pride says, I can go a little farther. I haven't been caught yet. 
I still come on Sunday mornings and worship God at Grace Community Church. Nothing's changed. I'm just flirting a little bit with this guy from my past on Facebook. I just wanted to see how he's doing and let him know how my hair looks now. And so all you're doing is taking one more step. Pride says, I can go a little farther. Pride says, I haven't been caught yet. Pride says, that's not much damage. Pride says, well, I need this. I work hard. Pride says, he keeps neglecting me. At least he shows me attention. Pride says, see if the shoe fits before we get married. Pride says, I can go higher. It's not so bad. I watch someone else. Pride says, they'll never find out. Pride says, it's not too bad. I've jumped off the diving board from this height. Pride says, I can go farther. Pride sees a danger sign that says, do not stand or sit here. Pride says, they'll never know. I can go farther. I'm good enough to get away with it. Pride comes before destruction. Godliness says, retreat, repent, step away. You're too close. Back down. Don't go there. Godly people humble themselves and say, not on my watch.